The following audio is from Restoration Southside Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee, where our mission is to restore people and places through outreach, authenticity, and sacrifice. For more information, visit restorationsouthside.org. Please remain standing for the reading of God's Word. The scripture reading for this morning is from Titus 2, 11-15. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Declare these things. Exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. You may be seated. Thank you, Noah. As we had just read for us, that we're going through Titus, uh, nearing the end of the second chapter. There's one more chapter to go. Uh, and we'll uh, begin to wind our way down the next couple weeks before we begin a summer uh, series. But this morning we'll look at a life in the reign of grace. What life looks like in, in the reign, the R-E-I-G-N, the reign of grace. And Paul is writing to a people, um, a community in Crete that Titus, hence the name of the book, is leading. And he's writing because that community has kind of gotten sideways, kind of uh, had some things seep in and, and manifest itself in pretty negative, harmful ways. And so he's writing to combat bad truth, bad information with good truth, uh, good uh, information. And here, actually, in this passage, He's trying to tell the audience there and the audience here in this room, he's trying to tell them the fundamental, the the integral parts of the Christian life, what the gospel really is about, to have gospel sanity as we live a life in the reign of grace. And so this morning as we, we look at it, we'll see that because Christ gave his life up for the people in Crete and for us today, what life looks like to live in light of that life being uh, given. And we'll see three things. We'll see first uh, the life of belonging, that life in the reign of grace involves belonging. And second, we'll see how life in the reign of grace is a life of, of tension. And then third, a life of goodness. So with, with that in mind, would you pray with me as we study Titus 2? Lord, I don't know all the stories of everyone in this room, all the the harm and the pain and the joy and the, the celebrations and the victories and the losses, but you do. And so with that in mind, King Jesus, would you uh, move toward us this day just as you've promised? Or would you be someone who uh, meets us where we are and change us? Would you be a God who uh, would show us and remind us that you offer a reign of grace, that, that you are a king reigning And what your kingdom looks like is full of grace. So this very day, would you uh, have our stories intersect with your story as we find redemption and the only one who gives it, that is Christ. We pray in his name. Amen. So first we see a life in the reign of grace. It includes and involves a life of belonging. If you were to think, what, what it really is the Christian faith all about? What is kind of the most elementary things, the most foundational things? 
Adam London builds houses. And when you build a house, you got to have a good foundation. What is a, a foundation thing that everything else flows from and you build off of? And you may think, okay, well, uh, the Christian faith is about knowledge. It's about this new information, this message that comes and, and how it's come and it's truth and it's good for us. And we, we take it in and ingest it and, and it's more information. We believe the right things. But, but sometimes information doesn't always yield life change. It's important. We have to have good information. Or maybe we think that uh, the Christian faith is about ethos or uh, pathos, excuse me. How we connect with God. It's a motive. It's, it's um, how we feel like we're really um, in stride. How lot, things are going well because we're connected and, and it's emotional. It's about a feeling and and yet sometimes in that view, in that vein, it's kind of feast or famine in different seasons of life. Or maybe we think it's all about action, that right? we have to do the right things, that the scales of good have to outweigh the scales of bad because we have to do the good and right thing. It's about doing. It's about our hands and feet. And yet so often, sometimes it's easy to think and compare that we are so good and others are so bad, or we are so bad and others are so good. Right, often if we kind of sometimes reduce the Christian faith to some of these elements only, it gets sideways. And Paul, again, here is writing to remind the church about good things they should aspire to, to recalibrate, kind of the smelling salt for a community. And what he gives them is a reminder that the gospel is about belonging, because it's the very fundamental need and desire we all have. The gospel brings belonging. So in verses 11, we see this. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. For the grace of God has appeared. Has appeared. Paul is saying uh, the grace you're given has legs. It moves. And in fact, it moves toward you. That grace isn't just this uh, kind of... Um, stationary monument that you go to and, and you experience and you see and then you leave. Grace is something that runs to you and meets you. Because the grace of Christ is something that does the same. It, it runs to the people it goes to and it meets them exactly where they are. Paul is reminding them, Christ has come. Christ has appeared. He's moving toward us to remind us of what grace is about. Movement. Grace is about movement towards us because he's not here to be a parole officer, but he's here to remind us who he's made us to be, who he says that we are. And so often it's easy to think that we have to behave before we belong, that we have to get everything right, uh, have things neat and orderly and accomplished and earn some way before we belong. And, and this verse kind of diffuses that. Because it's saying grace has appeared. It doesn't say you've done anything to, 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 to warrant its appearance. It's saying grace moves towards you. Salvation for all people. That grace is simply something that both gets us in. But if it's just something that gets us in, that, right, that, that gets us right, uh, then we'll quickly become kind of, um, again, the parole officer model, 
That Jesus will come and visit us, remind us that we need to be, you know, getting our act right before we really understand what grace is about. And here Paul is saying it's the thing that gets you in, the things that, that redeems you, but also it's the thing that you live by, the very ethic that, that um, makes up your whole entire being and existence, that the grace of God has appeared to change everything about us, that we belong, not because we behave, but grace is something that moves uh, towards us because Christ longs for us to know what he thinks of us. That's why we belong. There's a famous book um, and a play written in the earliest 20th century that Arthur Miller wrote. It's called Death of a Salesman. And it went to Broadway after it was published. And it was a Broadway play. After the first um, showing, after the first time it was a play, the curtains went down and apparently the audience stayed in their seats for 30 minutes because it was such a dagger to the heart. And it went from being a book to a play to a movie. And in the movie, uh, maybe about 30, 40 years ago, um, Dustin Hoffman and John Malkovich are in it. Um, and what this whole entire story is about, Death of a Salesman by Arthur Miller, it's about this father who's older and uh, kind of senile. He's kind of lost it. And he's um, at kind of a junction point with his family where he, uh, he's a salesman. And he's not really making sales anymore. But it shows us and gives us a glimpse of their life now and their life in the past. And, and their life now and their life in the past is this imposition, this, this showing to his two sons what success is like. As a salesman, you go out and you sell things and you, and you get everything done and, and you show how uh, you accomplish things. That's what success is like. That, in fact, you have to go earn every inch that you ever accomplish. And Dustin Hoffman, this dad character, is talking to John Malkovich, the son. The son's name is Biff. And Biff has lived his whole life with the ethic that his father has given him, that you have to go earn everything. And, and material success is the upper echelon. You've made it. And finally, after a lot of failure, after failing in his football career in high school, after failing uh, in his business ventures and getting fired from jobs, and trying to still hold on to this view of success that his father gave him of material possessions, he ends up stealing things. He goes to jail for stealing stuff. And one day he, he walks out of this business meeting and he steals a pen. And he kind of has this moment of realization after he does that. And it says this. Uh, Biff, this son, kind of realizes and has this moment where he says to his father, I stopped in the middle of that building and I saw the sky. I saw the things that I love in this world, the work and the food and the time to sit and smoke. And I looked at the pen and said to myself, what the hell am I grabbing this for? Why am I trying to become what I don't want to be? What am I doing in an office making a, a contemptuous begging fool of myself when all I want is out there waiting for me the minute I say I know who I am? Why can't I say that, Willie? The son is going to his father and in a front saying, uh, everything you've taught me about what success is, what life is, what everything should be like is wrong because it's made me do the most stupid things. He says, why am I trying to become what I don't want to be? So often in our lives, we come up for air after the rhythm and routine of whatever it is. We come up for air. We have a moment of just stillness. And whether it's in the back of our head or it's in the front of our face, a similar question comes up. 
Why am I trying to become what I don't want to be? Whether you're a college student and, and, and you're longing for the exam that you're about to take, because it's that time of year, to define exactly everything who you are and how good you are, because then you get a job. And maybe in a job you, you uh, recently have been fired, because uh, it's been a hard year for all sectors. Maybe you've been passed up for a promotion and you're overlooked. Maybe you're doing just fine. Actually, you've built a great business and an empire. And you come up for air and you realize, what has all this been for? We can also see it in, in our social circles where we keep up with the Joneses and the, and the status symbols of choice are, are always there waiting to be had. We see it in relationships because we just long and are living and dying for just a tiniest bit of affirmation. Maybe you're a mother and you just want to know for just one second, just today, that you're a good mom. That we long to have things said of us that show we belong, that we've made it. And yet, when we do that, sometimes the question creeps in, why am I trying to become what I don't want to be? It's easy to believe that we are only as beloved as we behave and and that we're only as cherished as we are productive. That we're only as meaningful and lovely as we are affirmed. And it's hard to have the audacity to say that grace moves towards us and says things of us, not because we've done a single thing. And yet that's the story that Paul's trying to tell the church in Crete that Titus is leading. And this is a story that he's trying to tell us in our day right now that grace has moved towards us Grace, for the grace of God, has appeared. It moves towards us, not because we're trying to do everything right, but because it's trying to say to us, you belong, because grace moves toward you and me. So one question I want to ask is, what do you think Jesus thinks of you? Because however you answer that question, you will orient most of your life by, what does Jesus, what do you think Jesus thinks of you? Because if you don't think, and it's easy not to think, you belong to him, and he is yours, and you are his, like the church and creed, it's easy to get sideways fast. It's easy to think and think to ourselves, why am I trying to become the person I don't want to be? In fact, the gospel is all about, at the most elementary, foundational level, belonging. He's come to make sure you know you are what he thinks you are. Grace has appeared. The, the life and the reign of grace is a life of belonging. But Paul is also honest. And he's telling us that as we live our lives and it has that, that plane of, of thought, of belonging land, it can be extremely hard. And so he points out how there's a life in the reign of grace is a life of tension. That we feel tension uh, in our lives. Sometimes we think that Christianity is this Pepto-Bismol, this silver bullet, this fixes our spiritual nausea, heartburn, indigestion, upset stomach, and fill in the blank. Right? It fixes those things. It's an instant fix that sells the chaos. And yet Paul here is saying what life looks like when it attests to the fact that you belong. He gives the, the narrative of instruction, and you think, wait, I thought this was about belonging, not doing, and, and you're right. Because Paul here is saying this. He's saying, cultivate your life in such a way that it fits into the fact that you belong. 
that because Christ has come, operate in that way. And he says this in verse 12. He says, uh, the fact that grace has come, it teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. Paul is telling the church in Crete that grace teaches us. That grace guides us. It forms us. It makes us different into who we were compared to who we are becoming. Because grace and Christ care much about who we are coming and who we are becoming. That grace teaches us. and It teaches us to say no to things that used to vie for our attention and yes to things that cultivate the fact that we belong and attest to that fact. And Paul's aware of that. Therefore, he gives instruction to acknowledge the tension at the war within ourselves, the war of our desires, the war within our own heart murmurs. Paul acknowledges that, and he says there's a, there's a tension. That life in the reign of grace, if we're honest, has deep tension in us. There's deep tension within our lives. Augustine was a, a famous person in church history, and he lived long, long ago. And he was someone who... Um, was born in North Africa and, and kind of lived how he wanted to live. Uh, and one part of that life before he became a Christian was uh, sexual promiscuity. And so there's a story that um, he became a Christian and he began to follow Jesus and he wrote a bunch of stuff that's helpful then and it's helpful now. And, and there's a story that uh, after he became a Christian and um, he, he uh, was walking down the street and he encountered one of his former, former mistresses. And the, one of the mistresses, after seeing Augustine, uh, cries out to Augustine and says this. She yelled, Augustine, it is I. Augustine, it's me. Saying, Augustine, old flame, let's rekindle this. Uh, Augustine, let's, let's have a one-night stand. What, what do you say for old time's sake? And Augustine, not looking back, uh, says this. He says, yes, but it is no longer I. Paul here is saying to the church in Crete and saying to us, there are things that vie for our attention. And there's things we, that we're, we're vying for our attention and our love, our affection, uh, the things that we used to be embattled with and still are embattled with. He encourages us, because you belong, because grace has appeared and moved towards you, say No. And in fact, say yes to something else, more beautiful. Be captivated by a better love, Paul is trying to say, just like Augustine embodied. Say to the things that vie for your attention, yes, but it's no longer I. And so in order to do that, we, like good doctors, have to have a good pathology. Pathology is this fancy schmancy word of showing how diseases have causes and effects, right? There's a connection, how things operate. All good doctors know that, and, and I think for really good, healthy Christianity, for good um, ways of following Jesus, we need a good spiritual pathology, and a good also pathology of sin, how things in our lives and sin is caused and affected, and how it makes its fruition in our lives. And so one thing that, that we need to do as we say yes and no to the things we should say yes and no to is the fact that grace has moved towards us and, and made us belong. We should also have a spiritual pathology of sin where we talk back to sin that talks to us. 
when it vies for our attention, we say things to sin. We narrate sin. And we say to things like, it, like you don't belong to me anymore and I don't belong to you anymore. That you don't leave me as fulfilled as you promise you do or, or uh, you don't deliver. That in fact you pull me out of relationship that I'm supposed to be in, not into relationship. And that you make me actually less human not more human. We narrate the sin, the things that vie for our attention, the things that say, Augustine, it's me. Ben, it's me. Whatever your name is, it's me. And we say to it and narrate it as we live lives of tension. All because grace is something that narrates us for a captivating better love. That we need things that make us more human and not less human and grace helps narrate that. Because it's not just this entry in, but it's actually the ethic as we live as Christians. And it's something that also meets us when we say yes to the things we should say no to. It's a lifelong battle and struggle and, and classroom. But grace is always there to meet us, even when we fail. So there's a battle within, there's a life of tension within, but also, quickly, we should acknowledge, because Paul does, how there's a battle and a tension outside of us in the grand view of history. For the grace of God has appeared, Paul says. And he goes on to talk about this, that we say yes and no to sin. And in verse 13 he says, while we wait the blessed hope, we say yes and no while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Paul is saying, he's appeared, grace has come. And Paul is saying, guess what? Grace is going to come again. And we all have kind of different emotions to Christ returning and him coming again. And yet, Paul here is narrating that. Saying whatever emotion you have, for those who belong to the one who comes back, know this. It's a blessed hope. Because it's a blessed hope as our belonging reaches its fullest culmination and climax. That the return of the one who has ushered grace in is amazingly a blessed hope because then our belonging is totally full. And all wrongs are righted, and the things we have to say no to now won't even be in the picture. It's extremely hopeful because we know grace has a trajectory. I have a daughter named after my father-in-law. They've never met before because my father-in-law passed away before she was born. I'm excited for the blessed hope because they'll meet again. I'm excited for the sins and struggles that make up my own life to be gone what is good about the blessed hope for you because the person of grace is coming back and saying, you're mine. You belong to me. And that's the story. There's a tension, but there's a resolve to the tension because we know grace is headed in a direction. So we see that there's a life of grace and we see that actually there's a life of tension even amid that. But lastly, we see that there's a life of goodness. As we live in the reign of grace, there's a life of goodness because Christians have the beautiful, most immense purpose in us because we belong. That we have something to offer the watching world because it's beautiful. And it's beautiful because of two things. The words from and for. Paul says in verses 14 and on, the Christ who has given himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness 
and to purify for himself a people that are eager, excuse me, a people that are his own, eager to do what is good. These then are the things you should teach, encourage, and rebuke with all authority. Don't let anyone despise you. Paul here is saying Christ has come and he's redeemed you from sin. He's a redeemer. He's come and he's found you where you are and he's changed that. And he's saying you belong to me now because I've moved towards you and you belong to me and I'm a redeemer. If he wasn't a redeemer and didn't change where you were, it wouldn't be good news. But we also can't settle for a half-baked gospel because also it says here that he's redeemed for a purpose. He's redeemed you uh, to purify for you, for himself, people who are eager to do good. That Christ redeems you from things, but also redeems you for things. That he doesn't leave you how you are when he finds you. He changes you. That Christ is a God who redeems and purifies. It's good news because if it wasn't a purification, if he left us exactly how we are, it's not good news. But grace is good because it redeems us from something, for something, and it always shows it's eager to do what is good. And the Christian life is about doing what is good, not for the sake of being a do-gooder, but because actually it's something that we've ingested, that grace is good, and it's something that flows from us. And it embodies everything who we are as, as an employer, an employee, as a neighbor, as a, as a friend, as any relationship you have, as um, the things in your own heart, the things in your wallet, the things in your bedroom, the things in your mind, the things all about us. Grace comes to touch those things. Redeem them and purify them. Grace changes us. All for goodness. We want to live the good life. What Willie Loman, what's what Biff Loman, that's what all of us desire deep down. And it shows itself in the fact that we're redeemed from something and for something. When explaining the Christian faith, C.S. Lewis talks about how uh, Christianity is a, a, a belief of goodness. And he says this He says, Christianity seems at first to be all about morality, all about duties and rules and guilt and virtue. Yet it leads you on out of all of that into something beyond. One has a glimpse of a country where they do not talk about those things except perhaps as a joke. Everyone there is filled full with what we should call goodness as a mirror is filled with light. But they don't call it goodness. They don't call it anything. They're not thinking of it. They are too busy looking at the source from which it comes. Paul, C.S. Lewis, what I would piggyback off of them today and say to you is the fact that goodness flows from our life because our eyes are fixed on the one who has moved toward us. Who said, you belong because I have a grace that meets you exactly where you are. And even in the tension you feel in your life after you experience a grace, I'm there with you, whether you're doing great or you're falling in your face every other minute. And in fact, that grace is something that will take you home and take you the distance. And it's a grace that, in the meantime, does goodness to the life around you. We belong. And because of that, we are a people of grace. Let's pray.
Lord, grace is a scandalous thing. And it's a hard thing to believe because sometimes we think to ourselves, is it good, too good to be true? And we can appropriate it for some parts of our lives and it's so hard to embrace it in other parts. And so, Lord, may we this day experience your spirit as someone who is full of grace and truth. Use your grace this day, Lord, to disturb those who are comfortable. Use this uh, day, Lord, uh, your grace in a way that it comforts those who are disturbed. Lord, may grace be something that doesn't just simply um, place the tiniest bit of role, but may we live in the reign of grace, just as Paul longed for the church in Crete to exist in every part of who they are in the reign of your grace. May we, the church in Chattanooga, these, my friends, with their stories, their, their excitements, their victories, their failures, their losses, their desires, their pains, their dreams, may it all be touched and transformed by the reign of grace. We pray, Christ, because you are a God of grace.